slid back when like a child running wild in the outside you got older Welcome to another episode of Smile You Love Us, a podcast where we discuss the wide world of teen movies, what they mean to us, and their impact on pop culture as a whole. I'm Erin. And I'm Blythe. I'm a little bit cunty and a little bit rock and roll. (laughs) We have some rules to refresh on. We made these rules, and there are rules, and we can change them whenever we want to whatever we want. But for now, in the foreseeable future... All these movies have to feature teenagers in high school in America. That means no 13-year-olds and no 19-year-olds. Yeah. And no European vacations. Sorry. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So every week we'll be discussing a new crop of teen movies based around a theme of our choosing. And today's theme is Type A Teens. These are our favorite overachievers who are as talented as they are ruthless. Think Gilmore Girls is Paris Geller, Rachel Berry and Glee, Blair Waldorf of Gossip Girl, and Dawson Creek's Perky is Schizophrenic, Andy McPhee. You really can't help but root for these crazies, even when they go off the rails. In film, we feel the type 18 is best encapsulated by Tracy Eden Flick of Election and Rushmore's Max Fisher. Although their ambitions are slightly different, both of these teens have absolutely no chill and we love them for that. Erin, do you want to start us off and tell us what we need to know about the movie Election and why Tracy Flick is such an iconic Type 18? I'd love to. Okay. Election came out in 1999. It's directed by Alexander Payne, which is he's a um, prolific American contemporary director. And so the fact that he made what we can confidently categorize as a teen movie is very special and lends a bit of gravitas to the pointed humor mm-hmm. <laughs> of this film. Uh, it's set in Omaha, Nebraska, where a lot of Alexander Payne's films are set because he's from there. Did you know that? I did not know that. He's from there. Uh, election starts with Mr. McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, circa 1999, as our extremely biased main narrator of a fraught high school election. Um, Reese Witherspoon stars as his adversary, nemesis, unbeknownst to her, more or less. Tracy Flick, an exceptionally tight-wound, calculated overachiever, who has also slept with her teacher and Mr. McAllister's friend, Dave, Mr. Novotny, but they refer to him as Dave, (laughs) uh, which leads to his firing. Uh, That was technically the teacher's fault, but it gets taken out on Tracy... I digress. Tracy has wanted to be the student council president literally all of her life, feeling that it will set her up for this greatness that she is destined for, that her mother feels she's very special. Um, Tracy and kind of all the main characters are able to give voiceovers, so we get to hear Reese Witherspoon narrate her um, inner anxieties and pep and ruthless determination. Yeah. I wouldn't even say ruthless because she doesn't really intend to take people down until the, the plot progresses. But she wants to achieve at all costs. Yes. And she truly believes she is worthy and deserving. Mm-hmm. So annoyed by Tracy's overeager engagement in school activities and with his personal vendetta for Dave, 
Mr. McAllister sets off on a quote-unquote plan to thwart Tracy's efforts when he encourages Paul Metzler, played by Chris Klein, in his first film. Did you know that? I did not know that. It's his first film because Alexander Payne found him when he was scouting locations in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, because Chris Klein is from Nebraska. Yeah. I did know that. Yeah. He's captain of the football oh, wow. team, a super nice guy, like just super dopey puppy. Yeah. Um, all around dumb dumb to run for student council president instead of Tracy. Paul's sister, Lisa, is also pissed that her lesbian tryst, shall we say, with her uh, former best friends haven't worked out in her favor. And so her ex-lover is now dating Paul, so she decides to run as well to get back at both of them. Paul is so clueless. Lisa is this spectacular anti-authority wild card who comes mm-hmm. into the campaign just to kind of mess things up. She flips the campaigns on their heads. Um, it leads to a total meltdown from Tracy, all due to a piece of masking tape not quite sticking to, like, the very distinct high school stucco cinder block walls. Yeah. And Tracy tries to fix it and ends up ripping down her not only her poster, but then enraged by her mistake, she rips down all of Paul's posters on purpose like a primal animal. And Reese Witherspoon obviously has had a 20 career 20 year career since then. One could probably say that Reese Witherspoon has about a 30 year career at this point. But since this movie came out, um, if you have seen Reese Witherspoon have a epic but controlled freakout scene, like, know that it all stems from this exceptional freakout in her career. She's always been good at this. She's always (laughs) been so good at marrying the, like, terror that you have from people who, of people who behave like this, and the humor of, like, what these people are actually doing, which is having a meltdown about student council posters. Yes. (laughs) There's also a subplot in which Mr. McAllister now has... Like, a pretty loveless marriage. And then he has an affair with Dave's now ex-wife as he descends into this madness trying to take down Tracy. Ultimately, it costs him his job when he throws away ballots that would give Tracy the election, naming Paul the winner. Then the ballots are found in his trash can. Um, the, The movie ends with Mr. McAllister narrating how great his life is now as he lives in a really shitty studio apartment and is a unpaid low-paid tour guide. Yeah, probably, like, paid by the hour. At the National Museum, the Museum of Natural History in New York. Um, Tracy goes to Georgetown. Paul goes to University of Nebraska and is thrilled. Um, Mr. McAllister is continually haunted by motivated and relentless women for the rest of his life. Um, and I think that it, were he a real character, he'd be having like a real, a real rough 2019 in today's political climate, which is run by Tracy Flicks, and like I do not feel bad. Yeah. I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> it's cool that um, Alexander Payne is such a well-renowned director and is from Nebraska because it actually segues really well into Rushmore, which is directed by a tour filmmaker, Wes Anderson. Who, and takes place in his home state of Texas. So I didn't even realize that there was that overlap. Aww. And I think that Max Fisher and Tracy Flick actually do have a lot in common. We've also learned from our first episode that we ever did that personal movies where the directors have a personal tie into the teen world tend to do, tend to do much better. Well. It's true. 
And as I said, our next type 18, 15-year-old Max Fisher, comes from the mind of auteur filmmaker Wes Anderson and his frequent collaborator, actor and writer Owen Wilson. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The film came out in 1988 and is set at Rushmore Academy, a private fictional prep school in Houston, Texas. As a young boy, Max Fisher, played by Jason Schwartzman, was offered a scholarship to attend Rushmore after writing a play that got the attention of the school's headmaster, Dr. Guggenheim. (laughs) Since then, Rushmore Academy has been Max's identity and his obsession. He is deeply involved in school extracurriculars, belonging to over 20 clubs, many of which he founded. Some of my personal favorites on Mr. Fisher's resumes include the fencing team captain, president of the Rushmore Beekeepers, Bombardment Society founder, which is just like just dodgeball, and perhaps most importantly, he is director of the Max Fisher Players, which is a theater group he founded. Unlike most type A teens, Max is not overly concerned with academics. In fact, he is dangerously close to failing out of Rushmore, but that does not mean he is not ambitious. At the start of the school year, he befriends a wealthy industrialist named Herman Bloom, who is played brilliantly by Bill Murray. Max, who is the son of a working-class barber, a fact he tries to hide, really enjoys Bloom's attention and the proximity to wealth and power that he gives Max. Bloom, in turn, is pretty depressed about his home life and sees in Max what we all see, this undeniable confidence and je ne sais quoi. The two begin an unlikely friendship that turns sour once they find out they are both competing for the affections of Miss Rosemary Cross, a first-grade teacher at Rushmore, played by the stunning Olivia Williams. Max tries to win Miss Cross's affection in numerous ways. He keeps the school from cutting Latin, which she defends as the root of all Romance languages, and even tries to build an aquarium on campus in her honor when he finds out that she is a fan of Jacques Cousteau. Max goes so far as to get a construction crew to come to the school and start cutting down trees and moving the baseball field over three feet. But having gotten no permits or any kind of school permission, this is the last straw for Rushmore's administration, and Max is expelled and has to enroll in a local public school. The enemy of all teen movies, public Public school. school. (laughs) Eventually, Max comes to terms with the fact that he is far too young for Miss Cross and that she and Mr. Bloom could actually be very happy together. Max lets go of Rushmore and embraces his public school where he stages a new play and finds a new age-appropriate love interest. The film is somewhat autobiographical for the director, the screenwriter, and the actor Jason Schwartzman. Both Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson attended Texas prep schools. Anderson attended St. John's School in Houston and was in love with an older woman, just like Max. And he even filmed Rushmore at his real high school, which is so cool. And Owen Wilson was kicked out of St. Mark's Prep School in Dallas as a sophomore, just like Max. Uh, Probably not for building an aquarium. He didn't really go into why he got kicked out, but he did say that he was, Luke was the only one of the Wilson brothers to to graduate from that prep school. Interesting. When describing... Luke Wilson was in the movie. Yes. Um, when describing how he got the role of Max Fisher, Jason Schwartzman said that he met a casting director at a party that he was attending with his parents in San Francisco. And at the time, he was a 17-year-old drummer in Phantom Planet, which, oh my god, (laughs) what a flex. Like, I just cannot imagine being that cool. And he said, like, he was into writing plays, and yes, also in love with an older woman at the time. So, I don't know, there's just something about these guys. (laughs) You can say that again. (laughs) 
so he met this casting director and he was like, oh, you know, I'm not like that actually kind of sounds cool, but like I'm a drummer. Um, you know, maybe you want to talk to like one of my bandmates. Like, I don't know. It sounds like a great movie, but he read the script and he said he fell in love with the eccentric protagonist whom he identified with. And it's the rest is history. It's a classic Wes Anderson film. It's very representative of his cinematic style and world building that he is known for. This heightened reality meets French New Wave film meets British Invasion rock and roll type aesthetic. And, you know, in the real world, a kid like Max Fisher, a short 15-year-old with braces and bushy eyebrows who writes plays, would never be cool. But in the Wes Anderson universe... He's a rebel and a genius and our type A teen icon. Agreed. Yeah. How did you feel about Rushmore? Or you want to talk about... No, no. Let's talk about Rushmore. Cool. I had never seen Rushmore before. Um, before this podcast. Yeah. That's so wild. I know. And I knew that that was like a blight on me. Um, <laughs> like, I, like I knew that it, that it was a gap that would one day be filled. Um... I, we talked a little bit about this before recording, but I, like, um, Life Aquatic came out when I was in high school. I think, I think I was in high school when it came out. And, um, I'm sure I could quickly fact check that. But I didn't see it in theaters, and, like, I felt like it was kind of, like, lost on me, a lot of, like, the Wes Anderson stuff. And there were people who watched it, who, who would watch Wes Anderson films and, like, loved it. And he does have sort of, like, a cult following or mm-hmm. you know people who are really devoted to his world um as an adult I love Wes Anderson I mean what's not to enjoy like truly and um you know movies like Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom that came out when I was in college like I, I love but I felt like I was a little I talked about this before like people who had a deep knowledge of things like I didn't have a deep knowledge of Wes Anderson so it felt like unavailable to me in a mm-hmm. way or like it would go above my head or, or wouldn't resonate with me so I just didn't watch Rushmore until this last week oh my gosh um I I loved this movie and I look forward to many rewatches and that it was it's a cozy movie I'm, I'm saying that about a lot this week <laughs> uh Jason Schwartzman like is Max and embodies his character so well and, and I feel like I have a firm grasp of Jason Schwartzman as an actor, especially as an actor in the Wes Anderson universe. And so it's very often a little difficult to see an actor who's so quirky and distinctive escape into a role and carry a movie this way. And the fact that he did it at 18 opposite Bill Murray is remarkable and amazing. And I kind of did a double take when I afterwards was reading that he was so young when mm-hmm. he made it because he's performing at the same level that he performs at for the rest of his career. Like, he's so good in this movie. Um, I also felt like having seen a lot of Wes Anderson movies since this that have come out since this movie, he's very much just beginning to explore his very stylized takes on things. Mm-hmm. So it's like with the month transitions and title cards, with the way that he makes very mundane objects, like, incredibly stylized and craft... He he has that, like, crafty... Oh, it's a Swiss Army knife as this sentimental gift. For sure. Um, Really rich colors and, like, a fairy tale feeling. 
he makes the mundane really beautiful and mm-hmm. quirky and have a lot of gravitas to to it. And so it, it was um, just fun to see it yeah. in this movie from the beginning of his career. I also think that there are a lot of things that happen in this film stylistically that are echoed in other films throughout the teen movie canon. Oh, interesting. And I don't know if that is um, just because now we're watching more teen movies and because Wes Anderson's style is so overt that you might notice what's present in everything just more in his. But the way that Max lies about his family and his, or his, you know, his dad's life and all of these big stately homes and the way that they're filmed really reminded me of Lady Bird, which is like a weird yeah. jump. But there's just something about like that being an outsider who wants to fit in. Like there were echoes of Rushmore in Lady Bird. And I could see the director of Lady Bird, like Oh, Greta being... Gerwig definitely loves Wes Anderson. Exactly. Like, oh, how could she not? Right. Um I was I, I loved this movie and I'm glad that I got to experience it finally. That's so exciting. I mean, I had the opposite oh, no. relationship with, oh, with this film times. because I was such a huge Wes Anderson fan in high school <laughs> and was, and I don't know if it's because I'm older. I don't know why that would be. I think that probably has something to do with it, but like all the people I knew who were really into Wes Anderson like had older siblings. That would, yeah, okay. So my, that might be it. But it was... Like, that was a really cool thing to like in my high school. And honestly, the uncool people... Or, like, the people that make you feel bad about Wes Anderson were the people that were like, but you haven't seen Bottle Rocket. Like, you've only seen the Royal Tenenbaums. You don't know what you're talking about. Those people are fun, you know? (laughs) Everybody loves those people. (laughs) But I was such a big Wes Anderson fan that I went as Margot Tenenbaum one year for Halloween. And I even had my stepdad whittle me like a fake wooden finger that I could like put over oh my god and I wore that costume to like social things like outside like I was I remember going to a basketball game that was set like Halloween weekend dressed as Margot Tenenbaum just being like because I wanted to show off my costume because it was so dope you also went as Saoirse Ronan's character in um Grand Budapest Hotel yes. a few years ago yes because, again, because he's so stylized and he has those details. Yeah. They really are well adapted to a Halloween costume. Well, all you did for that one was braid your hair, draw on your face, and wear an apron. And make a Mendel's box. Oh, and make a Mendel's yeah. box. It was good. I'm proud, I just of, think I'm proud of that. your stepdad whittling was probably a little higher of a lift. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was cool. They were both great costumes. Thank you. Not uh, <laughs> <laughs> to Halloween shame you. I did not dress up that year, so... So, Rushmore was very important to me in high school. I watched a lot. I just felt very kindred spirits to Max Fisher because I was, like, a bit of a theater kid. What a good kindred to have. I know. And, honestly, after watching some, like, pretty terrible movies with this podcast, it was nice to watch a movie that was good and be reminded that movies are good. <laughs> I felt the same way. I was like, oh, this isn't rotting my brain. I, f- I really appreciated that. And there were a few things I noticed that I hadn't noticed ever before, which was exciting. The first being a Rory Gilmore sighting. I noticed that. I My 
I was drawn to her immediately. I was like, how did I never notice this? I'm like the biggest Gilmore Girls She's like fan. sitting right in front of him and yes. like at a desk. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. In public school. In the public school. That was the thing that made me laugh the most was Rory Gilmore in public school. Like, it wasn't like, oh my god, it's Alexis Bledel. I was like, oh my god, they cast her as a girl who goes to public school? No. I also have done more research for this podcast than I had ever done before. And that, like, learning more about how this film was made and about the fact that it was filmed at Wes Anderson's high school just made it that much more meaningful to me. And I think it's hard to think of any of Wes Anderson's films as autobiographical because they're just so out there and so of another world. I agree. That the idea... They, they are always of another world and this one is very grounded. Or at least as grounded as a Wes Anderson film can be. Mm-hmm. And I don't think... And I'm not saying that it's necessarily autobiographical, but it definitely felt more of an origin story of this beloved director and this eccentric in his own right that was really exciting to think of. Like, Max Fisher could be, like, the identity for Wes Anderson and, like, his voice in this world. And I thought a lot for the first time, I'd never thought about this before, about how he kind of uses the character of Max and, and Rushmore, which really is its own character, to, like, poke fun of himself and his aesthetic. And I'm thinking specifically of the scene where Max is now at public school and he tries to introduce fencing to them. And he's practicing fencing by himself only to literally be run over by the basketball team who was like, no, like fencing doesn't exist in this world, no my guy. Like this is not a thing. And it was very much like you have the public high school is the real world and then Rushmore is Wes Anderson world. And you get to see what it would be like if all of a sudden the Royal Tenenbaums were forced oh my God. to like, imagine like Ben Stiller and his kids I'd in rather. his track suits. <laughs> Like, at a Starbucks or no, something. Like, no, it would no, be insane. No. But in Russ Anderson world, it all makes sense because it's really self-contained. Right. So I thought it was fun that he got to, like, kind of poke fun of himself in that way and see, like, a kid like Max Fisher wearing a beret and still wearing his Rushmore uniform. Yes, that's the best weird At a public too. high school, like, using the payphone and not having oh a hall God. pass and being chastised by, and, like, the fluorescent lighting. It was all just... I really liked the juxtaposition, I, and I hadn't even thought about it before, so that was fun to think about. I also, the other thing that I'll say about watch, having only seen this movie once, and I know that you have seen it many, many times, there are so many in, like, re, after watching it, like, researching it and reading about it, there's so many lists online of, like, 12 great, 50 great, so many great quotes from yeah. Rushmore, and it is a... Um, incredibly well-written movie yes. with incredibly bizarre lines that, like, I'm reading the quotes laughing because I can remember the exact scene in which it was said because it's so distinctive and Jason mm-hmm. Schwartzman does such a good job at delivering the lines. I mean, mm-hmm. other people, like, Rosemary Cross and Herman, like, Bloom have, have good lines. Um, I would actually say, as most of his roles, like, Bill Murray's silences are his best lines but like when he says i miss rushmore i miss the seasons like they're in houston (laughs) texas and he's just so earnest and serious and determined that that statement is like what's gonna make her feel 
Like, oh yeah, you you are having a rough go yeah. of it that you miss the seasons. But also, like you, the seasons don't change. You didn't move, right? You still you just go to a different high school. Like you so have, funny, like so, so funny. I think Bill Murray's introduction is him giving the speech <laughs> in the chapel, and he's like, "Yeah, you're all here because you have silver spoons in your mouth. So here's my advice to those of you who didn't grow up wealthy: get the rich boys, <laughs> put them in your crosshairs." And take them down. <laughs> and then it shows him reading off of his paper, and that's what he wrote. Yeah. And, like, I think that that's those little, like, the ways in which Ander- in the ways in which Wes Anderson, that's a tongue twister, he puts little throwaway, like, Easter egg lines into stuff that are so funny, and you, like, kind of miss the next line because you're laughing or he just like really doubles down on jokes in a way that it's like so overt and that's I think what a lot of his like visual cueing Mm -hmm. does that that it's like oh no we really want you to know this person is this ridiculous and it it works so well obviously because he's a great director and I know from doing my research that what Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson were most interested in in terms of the script, what they really liked was the friendship between Herman and Max. And I hadn't really thought of that ever, like before because I think some of the funniest scenes are when they're being adversaries. adversaries. So I didn't ever think about their friendship. And I was literally tearing up Aww. when Max... When Herman comes to the barbershop to see Max and Max says, I have two pins that I got from Rushmore... One for perfect attendance and one for punctuality. And I thought we could each wear one of the pins as a sign of our friendship. And Bill Murray goes, I'll take punctuality. <laughs> and then they're both wearing their pins I know, at throughout. the final play. And I was just, I was literally like crying. I think that a lot of teen movies obviously lack the exceptional filmmaking standards that Wes Anderson has and so those types of like (laughs) you know those types of continuity um within the Wes Anderson universe and I know that there are probably blogs on blogs on reddit threads on reddit threads about like easter eggs from Rushmore that have shown up in other movies Mm -hmm. and whatnot um but I think that that lends it to being a great movie and a great teen movie and yeah. Yeah. I think you do just become more sensitive to those things after you watch so many trash movies. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, right, you're so hungry. I was like, oh, a plot. <laughs> wow. Oh, right. Symbolism. Cool. I have a brain. <laughs> as far as election goes, um, I definitely saw it in middle school. I remember it being one of the first... MTV films, yeah, like MTV That's did Varsity Blues, mm-hmm. and then they and then they did a, like Joe's Apartment and some other like, but I didn't remember Election being one of theirs. So when I saw that Moon Man come on the screen, I was like, oh no wonder this was on my radar yeah. in middle school. Like I was that TRL. teen that was like watching way too much MTV. I think everyone was that teen. Yeah, and I will say I don't remember there being this much sex, which. My note when I looked at our at your notes was I remember more sex. Like I remember the sex being so jarring that I was like, "What the heck is this?" Which maybe 
is indicative. <laughs> Maybe that's bad that I was like, I, I don't remember there being this much sex. <laughs> like, was I like that desensitized? I don't know. We, we won't go into that. Um, yeah, and I remember, um, obviously, I knew Reese was good, and she wasn't Reese. I mean, she was she had she had she done Cruel Intentions at this point? I think this was 98 and Cruel Dungeons 99. Is that right? Yeah. I think that they came out around the same time okay. as each other. You have to remember Cruel Intentions like wasn't... We haven't done it yet, but I don't think it w- did as well initially as it's done as a cult movie. Well, I saw it in theaters. Excuse me. So. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> I don't think that that Yeah, role, I'm the barometer. <laughs> I don't think that that role... I had already seen Legally Blonde by the time I saw Election. Okay, but chronologically... Chronologically, yeah. that's not the case. But I don't think that, like... I think that Reese Witherspoon had, like, a breakout three years, and this was, like, part of part that Part of cluster. that, yes. Well, she was as good as I remember, if not better. She is such a force. And Chris Klein was way better than I remember. Yeah. He is funny, and I don't know... The film also was just funnier than I remember, and I think that has to do with the fact that I just understood more of the jokes... So I have this theory on Chris Klein, not to get totally derailed. Well, I, I don't have this theory on Chris Klein, but I have this theory that he fits into. Okay. There is a type... I mean, Chris Klein is obviously, like, very handsome, strapping. Like, he's got the look. Mm-hmm. He's got the vacant stare down. Um, I think that there are a, a lot of male actors in teen movies who play that character. Mm-hmm. And play the character well and are in on the joke. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Chris Klein was ever in on the joke. Oh, wow. That's kind of savage. I think that Chris Klein got scouted to be in this movie and, like, went on to Hollywood and became this, like, pinup. Like, when you hear certain people talk about, like, the expiration date on fame mm-hmm. and, like, knowing that their looks won't be with them forever, I think that those people know that they need to do these movies so that they can make money and then can go do interesting things that, like, they don't get paid a lot of money for. I'm thinking pretty specifically of, like, Channing Tatum doing, like, Magic Mike so that he could have a chance to work with Steven Soderbergh so Mm. he could, like, keep working. Okay. And, like, has commented on that. And, like, a lot of other pretty boys have transitioned, like, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. And I just don't think that Chris Klein, one, is as good of an actor as those other two people are. Like, he's not a great actor. He's good in this. He's good in other stuff. But, like, he's never, he's never like, the top build. He never, like, became what he was supposed to be. And I think it's because he just wasn't in on the joke. I will say this in defense of Chris Klein. When an actor is not in on the joke... They tend to overact. Mm-hmm. It would be really. Chris Klein is truly a blank canvas in this film, and that is almost impossible to do unless the director gave him no direction about the character and was like, just be yourself. And he just like really was that dopey of an individual, but. The comedic timing here is too good. I see what you're saying, but I also think that Alexander Payne is a great director, and so I think that, like, he probably pulled something out of Chris Klein, but also, like, Chris Klein went on to, like, be in American Pie movies and, like, have success in that way, but, 
But, like, who else is successful from American Pie? You know what I mean? Like, just, like, he was of a time and didn't really have, like, a plan. Like, he didn't really have, like, a, here's how I'm going to be an actor. Here's what my ambitions are. And maybe that's fine. But, like, he was a heart. He, like, had a peak. He had, like, he he expired. Natasha Leone is the breakout star of American Pie. Yes, obviously. (laughs) But I just think that Chris Klein is giving you, like, deadpan like sincerity that reads as deadpan humor and it's just oh, to me it's when just, he reads the speech in the assembly yeah, I was howling and it's just too good it's it's almost like it's too pure to actually be pure like you don't actually get no, that out I'm not, of someone I'm not saying that he's being himself in this m- movie I'm just saying that I think that he worked with Alexander Payne in, in his first movie who has gone on to prove himself as an exceptional director who makes great understated films. He clearly brought something out in Chris Klein. Chris Klein then went on to become heartthrob, boyfriend of Katie Holmes, member of American Pie frenzy. Lily Sobieski's Down whatever. and Down to Earth or Down Here on Earth. Here on Earth. He's bad in that, though. He is bad in that That's movie. also a bad movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm just saying... We've spent too much time talking about Chris Klein. I just think that there's a reason that Chris Klein plays a hot simpleton. <laughs> and that is my... Let the record show I went to bat for you, Chris Klein. Uh... Chris Klein, if you're listening... Yeah, you've got some problems in your life. <laughs> wow. If Chris Klein is spending his time shit. listening to our podcast. Oh, he should be so lucky. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from Chris Klein. The movie in general was weirder, had a weirder ending. I don't remember Matthew Broderick going to New York. I don't remember any of that. Um, but I, th- I think it holds up because of Reese Witherspoon. And I... Totally. Her going going to Georgetown and then working for a senator, which is very brief. Like, they don't even say that she explicitly did that. It just sort of suggested. Yeah. I think that it holds up because of her character. I think it holds up. I also, th- I mean, I think Matthew Broderick is a, um, you know, obviously he's very famous for being Ferris Bueller. Yeah. But he's like transitioned into such a different kind of career Mm -hmm. and I think that he's such a good actor as a kind of like he can also blank canvas himself and so like he his performance of pure hate pure unwarranted hatred on Tracy Flick is so easy to hate you also don't want him to fail like he is a good unreliable narrator and like if we didn't have that in this like it wouldn't help move it along I also think that Alexander Payne's pacing of the film and the way that he does those kind of like freeze frames on the really unfortunate facial expressions people make (sighs) so good like especially Reese Witherspoon yes like he and Reese Witherspoon I would love to see them work together yes I agree because the other thing is Reese Witherspoon give her even just like a slightly different haircut and a different edit and she's like the babe of the high school. Yeah. Her hair is so good bad in this thing. And her fashion like they do a really good job of convincing you that this girl is a loser. Total nerd. When in reality she's like the most beautiful woman. (laughs) And so and like those screen shots those freeze frames where she's like making a really unfortunate face again it's just was such a brilliant way of saying 
this woman is unfortunate in a lot of ways. I also think that it spoke to Reese Witherspoon's, like, when I say Chris Klein isn't in on the joke, Reese Witherspoon was in on the joke. Like, she made, and obviously, like, I don't know what Reese Witherspoon's career was like in 1997 that led up to all of these movies coming out around the same time. But she went off, and she still continues to go after a diversity of projects Mm -hmm. that she doesn't mind being the butt of the joke, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't mind, like, she's just a great actress. You can also tell that she personally is a very type A person. So I think that core of Tracy Flick really spoke to her as just being, like, a super hardworking, ambitious person. Mm -hmm. She could tap into that very easily and take it to a farcical, comedic place. I also think that she evokes a certain amount of... She evokes, like, a certain amount of humanity in Tracy that I think a lesser actress would not be able to capture, but, Mm -hmm. like, in very quiet moments of that, like... The panicked, frenzied, oh my god, what's going to happen? And she has like a, I guess vulnerability is maybe the word that I'm looking for. Yeah. And she, Reese Spoon is, I also feel like, a very naturally beautiful person. And in this movie, she's, like we said, has bad style. But she's very fresh-faced and she looks like a teen and she's not done up. And so when the film closes in on her face is responding to things like you feel that she is both incredibly pissed off, incredibly confused, trying to plot her next move, Mm -hmm. and, like, sad that this teacher is sabotaging her, but determined to not let it get to her. Like, you can see all of these conflicting teen Mm -hmm. feelings. I agree with that, for sure. Do we think that her and Max Fisher... They would... She would eat Max Fisher for lunch, and he would be like, I think we could be friends. Like, yeah. he would... He would be like, "Are you, have you ever considered acting? acting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Max Fisher tries to make everything work for him. Tracy tries to control everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's not even right. No, I, I just think that type A is so interesting, and I think back on the... Unfortunately, all women that we mentioned at the beginning of the pod, like the Paris Gallers, and they are all vulnerable at their core, and they are all yeah. like, very insecure about the fact that they, except for Blair Waldorf, who's like you know a different, a different, different, different class, class of literally human. <laughs> they all at their core are just really insecure about the fact that they work really hard, and because of that, sort of have to sacrifice other things. Yeah, and. You know, I think that Max Fisher isn't a type A teen the way that Tracy Flick is. They're actually, like I said, they're both ambitious, but Max is, like, failing out of school and doesn't really care about getting into college. Yeah, Max would infuriate Tracy. Yes. And she would feel like... But she would he would infuriate Tracy because he is going, going to become very successful yes. in his area and they're going to be at the same like gala dinner at some point and she's going to be like really insecure about the fact that 
he did all did all these amazing things and like never even had to like try that hard on the SATs or something. Exactly. Like Tracy Flick's big thing is that she follows the rules and she should be rewarded for following the rules. Yeah. She's done everything right to prepare for this presidency. She's done everything to get into Georgetown and if this presidency doesn't happen then it won't like her plan won't work. Yeah. And Max does not have plan I mean he does have plans but they're not linear plans. Right. At all. They're like I have an idea. I'm going to execute this idea. Oh, right. I have another idea. Right. I can do this in tandem. Oh, would you like to be in my idea? Me, yeah. my friend. We should all be in this idea. He yeah. has no... Um, like, he do, He says at the beginning of the movie, I could do... Oh, I won't graduate. I could do a post-grad year. Yeah. Like, that's a totally <laughs> yes. chill, wonderful option right. for him to yes. have. Oh, I'll just do my... I'll be a super senior. Yeah. But he does call it a post-grad year. Which is... Which gr- cracks me up. Yes. Um... It's very, it's a very classic, and I know that kid. Like I went to high school with kids <laughs> like that, where like they have a really clever way of rearranging language to just like make it not seem that bad. Exactly, it's totally, it's a choice that and I made. That in itself is very intelligent, and you have to give them credit for yeah. it. You're like, oh, you are super smart. You're just using your smarts to justify your laziness, and I have to respect that. Right, it's like his that. extracurricular learning is more valuable to him than anything, but he doesn't even, like, view it as learning so much as he... He thinks he's a fully formed adult, which is, like, right. what gets him into a lot of trouble. Yes, yes. And, and he convinces other people that he's a fully formed yeah. adult, because he wears a beret. <laughs> I don't know. And he has business cards that have, like, his school and an extension on them. Yeah. But Tracy is just, like, obsessed with besting herself like she views herself as above her peers she obviously views herself like a bit on par with adults as she has that affair with her teacher Mm -hmm. but her whole thing is about becoming the best adult like her she's very future oriented and will probably never be satisfied no um she's going to go into politics and probably become a lobbyist she's amy Bruckheimer. I think, or I said maybe she becomes like Olivia Pope in Scandal. Um, I think Olivia Pope's like a little too like bleeding cooler. Heart. Okay, that's better style. I mean, but again, give Reese Witherspoon the Olivia Pope makeover, and you know they're producing a series together, Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon. They're like best friends now. Right, and if you took Tracy Flick and were like, I'm gonna give you Olivia Pope's wardrobe, it's like no brainer. Yeah, she's a smoke show, one hundred percent. But I do find, like, Tracy Flick in politics is really inter- an interesting thought, and I would totally watch that show. And you might be right. She might be Amy from Veep. That could, that's a good... I just think that someone who's as earnest at, and this is such a jaded thing I'm about to say, but someone who's as earnest as Tracy... But she's not earnest. Shiny and bright. Like, she's she's obsessed with, like, smiling so that it, like, hurts her almost. Yeah. Do you know what I yeah. mean? <clears throat> when someone takes the, the the big handful of gum, yeah, and she's like in the middle of con- conversing with people, and she just like runs away and is like, like she snaps. Like there's yeah. moments of her that totally snap. Yeah, and I think that someone like that is successful, but just like slowly dies inside. Oh, <laughs> and so they become an Amy, who's oh, like, oh yeah, no, yeah. Tracy Flick does not have a happy life. There's no. just no way that you could be that heartstrong and that neurotic about something as dumb as. She definitely gets hospitalized for panic attacks before she's, like, 30. Bummer. 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 Do we think that they're good teen movies? 
Yeah, these are like two of the best movies we've watched. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if they fit into like teen movies in the way that um, most people would think of teen movies because I think that adults really enjoy these as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I watched Election, I was like babysitting for my neighbors and they had it on DVD and they oh, were fine. like in their 40s. So it's like adults found these movies when they came out. It, Which it, is so interesting because again, it's like an MTV film. So. I know. But MTV was so, um... They had a lot of, like, adults. It had such a far reach when yeah. it was, like, really in its prime, yeah. prime. was like, a cultural... It set the zeitgeist yeah. in so many ways. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about actors who go on to become really big stars and how to see them in a teen role is great, and, like, Jason Schwartzman... He's a big actor, but I would say he's has stayed pretty within the Wes Anderson realm, which is fine. Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon is, honestly, like, I would want to say one of the top ten movie stars in the world. Yeah. Right. I mean, Bored to Death was, like, Jason Schwartzman's, like, big, I think, like, one of his bigger things. The show he did with Ted Danson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even that was still, like, within, it wasn't Wes Anderson, but it was still a very similar schmaltzy not even schmaltzy. not schmaltzy but like neurotic yes weird yes. you know oh we're gonna do a like film noir like but set in brooklyn in the 2000s and his best friend is zach galifianakis like i mean i hand it to jason schwartzman for making i hate this word but like quirky choices throughout his career and, like, staying aligned with that because I guess he's also on the joke of what he does. I mean, I guess guess at the end of the day, if you're a really good actor, you should choose projects that you enjoy and Mm -hmm. are your taste, Mm -hmm. and Jason Schwartzman has done that, and that's cool to see. Yeah, for sure. To build a body of work that is really cohesive. I agree. Let's do some awards. Sure. What was your most true-to-life teen moment? So this is going to pay me in a kind of bad light, but I feel like having a teacher adversary is something that I came up against twice in high school. I'm sorry. You ha- you were Tracy Flick and you had a Matthew Broderick. I wasn't Tracy Flick. Not that you were. But I definitely saying. had Matthew Broderick's, yeah. Wow. Um... I had a Spanish teacher. A lot of people actually had a problem with the Spanish teacher, and there were, like, multiple... El Diablo. Yeah. She was... It was weird. Like, she she had no background in teaching high school. I don't know why. She, someone, like, had to leave on med... There was something weird that happened my freshman year, and that, like, the person who was supposed to be the Spanish teacher could not be the Spanish teacher. I think she was, like, really sick or something not good. For our listeners, I'm literally on the edge of my seat. I, I am so excited. This is a very new facet of error that I'm learning about. So, she, I mean, it's not new that for you to know that, like, if I think someone is full of shit, I'm going to act that way. No, but I like the idea of you as 14 being like, the Spanish teacher is now my nemesis. No, she thought that I was her nemesis. Oh, she also thought that about, like, literally 90% of all of her students. Mm. I felt that that was unfair, and I would say things about it and, like, talk to my guidance counselor about it and be like, she was literally mad that I asked a question. Like, she, this woman was just not equipped to teach high school. And she's I, still there? No, she she didn't even last a semester. Oh. Yeah, but, like, I can remember having parent-teacher conferences, 
My parents were, like, very... They had, like, a very high standard of what they would accept academically. And I can remember, like, walking out of the parent-teacher conference and my parents were like, you were totally correct. You don't need to, like, this is a nightmare. Mm. So that was one instance. And then I was reminded of this when I was talking to a friend about a different movie that we're watching for an upcoming podcast <coughs> about a English teacher who came to my high school when I was in, when I was a senior and I was really into drama clubs, surprised to no one. And I had had great people running the drama program and then senior year they had left and we got this woman who had just graduated college and didn't know anything about theater. I think she had done like two plays in high in college and she was suddenly the head of the drama department, and she wanted to just, like... It wasn't that we took ourselves seriously as a drama department. Some people, like, did go to, like, good schools for theater. Mm-hmm. and But it was more, like, it was a really small department, and, like, everybody knew each other really well, and, like, kind of had their shtick, and we were, like, nice and inclusive to people. And, like, we didn't want to, like, sit around and do, like, weird games and stuff. And she was just so demeaning and, like... Let's play the zip zap zoop game and like she just like dumbed it real down for everybody. Man. And you're like, we're doing Stanislavski. No, man. it wasn't even that. It was just like I know these people's names. I've been in school with them for four years. And she was like, Well, you still need to wear the name tag. And I was just like, Oh my god, like this woman was a nightmare. And I didn't know I didn't have her as an actual teacher. I just had her after school, whereas I was in an AP English class that I, like, loved with the head of the English department. And a lot of my friends were in honors English, which this woman taught. And she was, like, not well-equipped for it. Oh, no. And so I got to, like, hear about how much they hated her. Oh, no. Which then I could, like, go back to my English professor. Like, she was a <clears throat> the head of the department who was retiring that year who, like, at that point she was, like, not my problem. Like, I only care about my students, like, not my department. Um, yeah, that woman was a nightmare. And she didn't, uh, when I was talking to my friend about this, we were saying how she definitely didn't last when, she still wasn't there when my sister graduated. My sister was only three years younger than me, which is ridiculous because our high school is like, like a cakewalk. Like, even though I know I've alluded to like a non-cohesion in my high school, like it was upper middle class, like predominantly Mm -hmm. affluent college motivated students who like their parents really gave a shit and like people turned in their homework and like behaved Mm -hmm. like you can't get a better teaching job than the public school that I went to and she couldn't hack it wow maybe if you guys had worn the name tag she would have survived (laughs) she was a nightmare and I'm all riled up (laughs) anyways I just have always pushed back on teachers that I thought were full of shit I didn't in college because I realized I was paying a lot of money for it, <laughs> so it didn't feel valuable. Which is, that to me is, like, more reason to push back. Like, I Well, if I wasn't taking you. a class I liked, I would just take a different class. Oh, yeah, you could drop it. That's yeah. true. You didn't have that luxury in. Um, I didn't have any teacher adversaries. There were definitely teachers that I just avoided. Like, I'm not going to take a class with them, or, like, I'm going to drop. You know, you could always... My high school wasn't that big, mm-hmm. so, like, you couldn't really find it. Although I tried, and I think that that was, like, what pissed the teachers off more. Yeah. Is, like, my my attempted resourcefulness. Yeah. yeah, I went around teachers a lot to sort of, yeah. like, get what worked for me. Because I was, I kind of had the attitude, like, 
this is four years of my life. It's going to set up hopefully the rest of my life. So if it's not working for me, then we got to figure out something else. Right. And I think that um, a lot of those qualities are like very good business skills and Mm -hmm. like are probably what has made us professionally motivated is like, oh, this isn't working. Let me look for a new job. Oh, this isn't working. Let me try a different solution. And most of my teachers respected and rewarded my hustle. (laughs) (coughs) But two of them did not. Wow. I like... I... I'm sorry you had a tough time, but I kind of do like the idea of you. I didn't have a tough time in high school. I owned that school. Damn. (laughs) Not in a social way, but in a I made it work for me. And I didn't take I didn't take no for an answer. I do think you have a little Tracy flick in you. Oh, I have a lot of Tracy flick in me. (laughs) But I didn't like being in the spotlight the way that Tracy does. I don't I didn't need to be a leader. I think she liked being in the spotlight. I think she just saw that presidency as like something she had to do in order to get because she didn't seem that interested in being in like people and being well liked right because yeah, she says that at the end mm-hmm. From, what about you um so i definitely identified more with max fisher than tracy flick i get that um i can s- not sympathize but i like max fisher tried out a lot of different clubs to try and find an identity like, I was in Latin Club and Green. Did you play Quidditch or was that in college? I have never played Quidditch before. What? I went to a Comic-Con where Quidditch was being played and I watched a game and it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Oh, jeez. Quidditch is for the imagination. It's not, meant, <laughs> it's not meant to be seen. Okay. It's real depressing. Because <laughs> it's also like we have sports. We right. don't need Quidditch. Like, we have right. so many amazing... We can play baseball or ...athletics or, at our yeah. availability that are truly, in some ways, as magical as... No. 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 Yes. No. I find Russell Westbrook to be magical when he's on. He's not been on lately. Um, but I... That, to me, felt like very... I wasn't in, like, 20 clubs, but I definitely, like... Tried out a bunch of different clubs. I was in Green Club, which is, like, the environmental club. And Mm -hmm. I did a lot of, like... I wasn't a theater kid in that I acted in plays, but I liked to direct plays. And I liked to be stage manager. And I was in this, like, weird improv, like, guerrilla theater group where we would just spontaneously do scenes, like, in the middle of the library. Does Billy know that about you? No. It's never come (laughs) up. (laughs) It's just never Wait, come uh, So I'm the only person in our I mean, New York friend group who knows what you just told me. Yeah, I mean, it's just, why would I ever talk about the time in high school when I, like, pretended to break up with someone in the library to, like, get a reaction out of people? What kind of reaction did you get? We were so convincing. Well, yeah, because in high school people break up all the time. But it wasn't someone I was dating. Like, people were like, oh my god, I didn't even know they were dating. And then they just had this really public breakup, and it was, like, so... I also obviously had way too much time on my hands that I could, like, do all of this. <laughs> like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And it was school-sanctioned. Like, what? our theater teacher was like, you guys should do this. It's, like, it's a good exercise for whatever, 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 wherever your theater career takes you. So we would do all these, like, scenes. I apologize to anyone who had to go to high school with me. Should I we do like this, nightmare. like, the next time we're at a bar? Should we just stage a breakup? 
But it's New York. Like, I know, people no do bad crazy people. shit all the time. People would not look up. They would no. not look up. And I think my least true-to-life teen moment was there's so much, like, sex, sexual tension, romance, crush on teachers in these two movies. I just cannot relate to that. I think there were people in my high school that thought their teachers were, like, hunky or, like, guys who had crushes on some of the female teachers. I saw them so purely as, like, adults not into you, you are not for me, like, there was a really cute math teacher who started, um, when I was, like, a junior, and there was, like, no way that I would, like, have him, and he was just, like, an objectively cute, he kind of looked like Logan from Gilmore Girls, Mm. and then my sister had him, and she was, like, the magic is ruined, like, he's a bit, he's just, like, a mean teacher. That's bummer. Um... But no, I think that my least true to teen teen life is like there's no way that someone that there would have been an affair between a teacher and a student that like even if un, like it's unfortunate the way that they handle it in the movie because mm-hmm. like I think that the police would probably be involved in the real world. Yeah. But even if that didn't happen, like there's no way that it wouldn't le- be leaked and like another student would find out like somehow in that rumor mill. Like if you want to spread a rumor in high school, true or not true, like, it can happen in 40 seconds, you know what I mean? And, like, that, it was just... Especially something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, same. I mean, no. There was not... If there was a scandal like that, I definitely didn't know about it. What was your favorite uh, get-out-of-my-room award for best, best expression of teen angst? Definitely Tracy Flick ripping down the posters. That was a fun... Almost spontaneous. Scene. Oh yeah, like you didn't really see it coming, and then all of a sudden, like you said, she's being brought down by <laughs> masking tape, just not quite sticking, and she just loses her shit. She loses it, and it's great. Um, my favorite—it's not really teen angst. I'm always so bad at like fully fitting this category, but the thing that made me laugh the most and felt the most like a teen move, even within the context of like a hilarious drama comedy dramedy is when max is in miss cross's room and with fake blood on his forehead Mm -hmm. and like no i've never done that or no one i know has done that but like the the way that people white lie in high school to like gain what they want is Mm -hmm. just like so morally corrupt and then just shook off right away like you're like well i didn't mean it you know what i mean like the like and he's like Okay, yep, it is fake blood. I'll see myself out now. Like, like the way that he's, yeah, that that right. just the like he stages like, an entire like big accident, and of course he has fake blood. I just blood got hit by a car. He's like this theater yeah. dude, and has is really good at pretending totally. that he's so in trouble. The and... fact that his love was like so great that he had to like go to that felt the angstiest. Yeah, that's a know. good one. I like that one. Do we have a Soccer Cheney Award for oldest actor cast as a teen? Nothing egregious. No, I don't think so. What about a Peter Fascinelli Award? You said no. I say Matthew Broderick fits into this category because we see him as Ferris Bueller. And then, you okay. know, 15 years later, he's a right. shitty, shitty teacher. I know Correct. the Peter Fascinelli Award is saved mostly for people who go on to play teen parents. No, I think that fits perfectly. I think I 
just question, do we also then give it to Ferris when we do Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Because we will be doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off at some point. Give what to Ferris? The give the Matthew Peter Brother, the Peter Fasnelli Award, because he will be... No. This is probably an off-pod conversation. This is an off-pod this is an ops conversation. <laughs> okay, let's move over on to our superlatives and sleepover games. Do you have a good fuck, Mary kill for me this week? Um, I, I have to say it was kind of tough because there's just... There's not a lot of people that I felt sexual about. Yeah. We can skip it for this week. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get some steamy ones next week. I also just don't like any opportunity to throw in Bill Murray because I feel like Bill Murray is like just a sad man. Even though he's great, like... Well, I don't think he's... I'm not, I don't think he's a sad man, but I don't need to talk about marrying, fucking, or killing him. Okay. So we'll move on. Moving on. <laughs> Biggest crush. Um, even though we just talked about how no one is sexual in any of these Except films. for a very cute I guy. I think Luke Wilson, who has a very brief cameo as one of Miss Cross's uh, boyfriends, Dr. Peter Flynn, is so who? cute. What? What's his name? <laughs> so good. He, there's Pat a, over here. He, um, he's a doctor and he comes to the play. He's invited to Max's play because Miss Cross invites him and he's wearing his OR scrubs because he didn't realize that it was like a big deal to Max and he was invited to dinner afterwards. And again, <laughs> With he, didn't, Bloom. he didn't realize that there was going to be a dinner. So Max or a is, formal dinner in high school. We would go out for like fucking hot dogs. So Max is giving him shit. Like, you know, you didn't dress appropriately for this white linen table cloth restaurant. And when he's invited again to Max's final performance, when Max is like good with everybody, there's a scene, there's just like a throwaway line where, um, Luke Wilson is talking to one of the other like random people that were invited and he goes, yeah, I got this invitation and it said, uh, wear a suit. <laughs> <laughs> that and was he, a good Luke Wilson interpretation. Thank or you. Impression. Thank you. And he was just so cute in the movie. He is cute. Really He's got it. a great buzz cut. Oh. I love a good buzz cut. So good. Um, my crush is Miss Cross because I really wasn't familiar with her, even though, like, then when I went online, I was like, oh, yeah, I know her, um, what's her name, the actress? Olivia Williams. Olivia Williams. Once I yeah. looked at her IMDb page, I was like, okay. Um, but, no, so crushable in this, and she's just, like, got rosy cheeks, and, uh, yeah, big yeah. crush. She's my pick for best style, which was our, one of our superlatives for the week. Yeah. Because, again, she, you don't even really remember what she's wearing, like, just, like, very simple sweaters, very clean, really, like, put together, but she's just so sophisticated and just comes off as so effortlessly chic. She also has a British accent, which I feel like is part, yeah. of, part of it. And there's this scene where she's teaching her first graders, like, watercolor mm-hmm. in the yard, which is, like, so Wes Anderson adorable, and she's wearing her husband's, which, who, what I assume is her, her de- deceased husband's, like, one of his menswear shirts backwards as like a smock yeah and it was a fashion moment it really was i was like i i, was I like, die. Oh, i'm gonna start painting now this so I is can do this. right so i can yeah. look this and it just seems like something i will never be the woman who was like i have to paint today i'm going to wear one of my husband's menswear shirts backwards so i don't get paint splattered on the front like, I will never be that no, woman. No, I'd be but more likely to start doing it, spill out my shirt, then take my shirt off, and then just be, like, painting my bra. 
Or be like, I don't paint. Right, I don't, also don't paint. <laughs> like, oh, oh, and then there's that. Right? I don't, we don't paint. I am not that, but I aspire to be her because she just is like this aesthetic that I will never be, but, you know, I admire it so much. Yeah, I agree. Um, my biggest style goes to Tracy Flick, though. Mm. Not because she has good style, because she has, I guess Max could get this too, because he has a very defined style, but Tracy Flick's style is such a devoted bad style, mm-hmm. especially the headbands. Yeah. Like, I really want to talk about those headbands. Why do type 18 girls get obsessed with headwear? Oh, great call. Blair Ward- Waldorf and the goddamn headbands of, of like, horse of It's like, just like keeping many- your hair out of your way. But, I also wear a headband a lot. No, but like she had like uh, not like her. fascinators. No, no, totally. And then Rachel Berry and Glee had so many weird oh, yeah. clips and like you just barrettes. need your hair out of your face to run the world. I guess Andy McPhee had some some serious. Oh yeah, the thin. Thick... No, I thought she would always have the thin ones with the hair pushed forward. She had the the thin ones, and then she also had like the oh, thick velvet. Yeah. Like I don't know. There's there's something there. I agree. There's a theme. Um, that's why I picked Tracy Flick. That's a good one. And how she styles her hair, just like, not just the headbands, but like... The forward the Severe poof. curls. Like, oh, it's so tragic. I want to know, like, did they sit down at a hairstylist and just keep cutting Reese Witherspoon's hair shorter so that it was like the perfect length of like, not quite, like, not quite right? They definitely had a look they were going for, and I'm sure they did they, everything. They achieved too. it. They achieved it. I also loved Bill Murray's Budweiser swimming trunks. <laughs> Bill Murray's style is so great and has such a devolution, de- yeah, a devolution in the film. And then Bill Murray's wife's character in the film, who shows up on the top of the parking structure with a headscarf on and a fur mm-hmm. coat, and then eats a tuna fish sandwich. Yeah. Peak Wes Anderson. So good. Our other superlative is most likely to go from geek to chic. And I said Reese as Tracy Flick because, as we already stated, she's obviously beautiful. And she just needs a better hairstyle and a better wardrobe. And she will be a smoking hot, high-powered lobbyist. What's the name of Max's younger love interest when he switches schools? Margaret Yang. Margaret Yang is my geek to chic. Yeah. She, no, that's a good one. Yeah. I, their love is so precious, too. So, let's do a prom king queen of the episode. This was really hard for me because all the girls are... Yeah, and honestly, maybe this episode doesn't lend itself that well to our stereotype of the prom king and queen. Well, well one character did actually win prom king right. and homecoming king. Paul Metzler. Paul Metzler. So, yeah. we'll, we'll hand it to you, Paul. Yeah. And then prom queen, Margaret Ring. She could probably... She's not interested. No, that's probably true. We'll give it to Miss Cross. Miss <laughs> Cross would definitely win. Should there be a remake of any of these films? No. No. They're really good films, and they're so stylized. It's hard to remake something that that is really stylized. Yeah, obviously. Right. I mean, this is such a specific point of view and such a specific vision Yeah. that it's not like Can't Buy Me Love. Right. It's not just... a narrative that you can transpose <laughs> right. on something else. It's a feeling. Um, and then... I guess I would like to see more type 18s represented in film. There's so many in TV, which you listed in your intro, which I thought was interesting because those TV teens more or less came 
five to ten years after these type A teens came. And they're a little softer. Also, being in TV, we get to know them a little bit better over time. And they have multiple arcs and learnings and stuff. Um, They're also mostly supporting characters for other... What? Right. I mean, like... No. Yes, like... Andy McPhee is not a main character. Andy it's McPhee Joey is the Potter. only one who's not the main character of that list. Paris Geller is not a main character. She's Rory's you like. You listed Rory Gilmore, didn't you? No, I, I listed Paris Geller. Yeah. Rory Gilmore is like Type A, but she's like Paris Geller is really Type A. Yeah. Paris Geller is supposed to make Rory look normal. And <laughs> I love Paris Geller so much. Um, okay, fair, fair. You know, like I and like Blair Waldorf has Serena, so like there is supposed there has to be like a balance. Oh yeah, they're always accompanied in television yeah. by a more like more back. chill mm-hmm. teen, which either helps heighten their insanity or like lends them a foil of some yeah. kind. Yeah, which one do you think is the best teen movie? I think Rushmore. I just again maybe it's because I read like Max Fisher resonated with me, or maybe it's because I know it was filmed at someone's actual high school, but it just definitely felt teen. I think you're right. My life. my opinion aligns with yours because I I feel like Rushmore better conveys teen emotion. Max has so many emotions, mm-hmm. and Tracy kind of has one real humorous emotion and one real terrifying emotion, right. and, you know, um, and I think that, yeah, I think that Election also is a bit, even though Rushmore has adults as prominent characters, because we have, um... Mr. McAllister, Mr. McAllister's character as our narrator, it's harder to feel like it's a full teen movie right. so much as it's about this instance with teens and it, it had a lot of teen mm-hmm. life in it. But with Rushmore, it's about Max like falling in love for the first time. Yeah. and It's about his friendship with Harold Bloom or Herman Bloom, but... It's mostly about Max. It's about Max. It's about Max's feelings. Yeah. It's about how Max navigates those feelings. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. So we're, yeah. Rushmore takes it. Blythe, what are we going to talk about next week? <sighs> we are going... Pack your bags, Erin. Okay. Pack my your, trunk. My steamer trunk. Pack your trunk. Because we are getting on the boarding school train. To the Ivies? Yes. Not really. Well... We'll get us there. A degree from an, from a boarding school will get us to that. <laughs> We're going to boarding school. We're not going to see our parents for a year. We're going to hang out in the dorms and go to class, and it's going to be real serious, but also fun. So fun. So we'll see you there, see guys. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening.